0: Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in tonight. Today we are recording episode 111. Before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this podcast, A Gift from Adversity. If you go on Amazon, you can find it, A Gift from Adversity by Julie Love. The subtitle of the book is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. After I published this book, I got a lot of messages from all over the world and people are sharing their adversities. And I decided to share not only the adversity part but create a platform where people can talk about it and also share the tools. So I'm very, very grateful that we have many guests from all over the world. And today we are having a guest from California. Let's invite Paul. Hi, Paul, thank you so much for coming in today.
1: Hey, Jury. thank you for the opportunity to talk with you and your audience.
0: Wonderful. So can, can you tell our audience who you are and what you do, and if you have any website or social media that people can follow you.
1: Uh, Yes. uh, uh, As you said, my name is Paul Fortune. Uh, I am a coach and a speaker, and I help people rewrite their stories. I help them take back their pen and write the story they want for themselves, not for anybody else, because it's our story to write and our story to write alone. So I I work with uh, salespeople, and I also work with a lot of high school athletes a lot in golf about the mental game, not 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 the skills of golf, but basically the mental. So uh, I'm pretty busy with that. Uh, my website is a call to action. Coach, um, and you can reach me on Facebook at a call to action, uh, LinkedIn, uh, and uh, Instagram. So I'm all over the place.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing that, and thank you again for coming in so let's get started for our first question okay so what was your adversity that you can tell us Uh,
1: so um i have what's called cerebral palsy and if your viewers don't know what cerebral palsy is it's lack of oxygen in the brain at labor and as a result of this lack of oxygen in the brain at labor it can leave one side of the body paralyzed it can affect your speech and these things are permanent they don't go away you have them for life so when i was born i wasn't moving the right side of my body very much and naturally my mother was concerned about that so she took me to the doctor to see what was going on with me and that's where i was diagnosed with cerebral palsy and this particular doctor thought it was so severe that he thought i would never ever be able to walk and when I got to a certain age, it would be a good idea to get me in a wheelchair because that was going to be my life going forward. I've had many conversations with my mom about that, about that moment when she heard that news that I would never walk. Um, She told me that she cried herself to sleep, you know, wondering what was going to be the life of her baby boy, not being in block. It was going to be a hard life. But she told me the next morning when she woke up and she got me ready for the day and I, and I gave her a look. At this point, I'm, I'm an infant. I can't talk. But she said I gave her a look. A look if to say, Mom, do not let this be my story. I want to walk. And that mama bear inside of her started raging. She got a second opinion, a third opinion, a fourth opinion, a fifth opinion. Finally found a physician willing to help. And with this physician's help and me doing physical therapy five to six times a week, I was walking. Between age two and three, a feat that, for the doctors, said it was impossible. I was doing, which was which was wonderful, but I really don't remember that because it was so so long ago. It was, I was two or three, so I don't really remember that. But I do remember the struggles of having cerebral palsy throughout my my childhood. Um, I was put into soccer roughly when I was about five years old, and at the time, I probably could run. I don't know, 25 to 50 yards before my leg would give out and I would have so much pain. So I was basically standing there on the soccer field while kids were playing soccer around me. And I remember one day after practice, I was fed up with soccer. Kids were making fun of me. I wasn't having fun. I was going to go to my mom and tell my mom, I want to quit. I remember what my mom told me that day because it's held true to this day in my personal life, my business life. She said, Paul, if you do not want to play soccer anymore, that is fine. But you need to honor your commitments. So you need to finish out that soccer season. And if you do not want to play soccer after that, that is your prerogative. And that's exactly what has happened. I'm 42 years old and I haven't played soccer since that that time when I was five years old. But I got a big break uh, roughly after that soccer season. I got surgery on my right foot tighten up the tenant, give me a little bit more spring in my step. And it, was, and it was supposed to take away the pain that I was feeling when I would run a walk. And this surgery was a game changer for me. I didn't know how big of a game changer it was until my first day of PE, physical education. I remember doing our stretches. And then the teacher says, okay, guys, run a lap. And I'm thinking to myself, here we go again. I'm going to run 25 to 50 yards. I'm going to have to stop. These kids are going to see that and they're going to start to tease me. But Because the surgery was different. I remember going past that point where I normally have to stop. And I remember saying to myself, come on, Paul. You got this, buddy. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And I finished the lap with the other kids. On the outside, I kept it cool. But on the inside, I was like, yes, 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 yes. It was the first time in my young life where I just fit in, where I didn't stand out. Things got easier for me, but I wouldn't consider them easy. When I was roughly about 11 or 12, my parents got divorced. So I had to switch schools. That's a rough age to switch schools at. Um, Kids have been going to school with each other for many, many years. They've already formed their cliques. And these kids are becoming teenagers. And at that time period, sometimes they're not the most nicest of, of people. So I went into this new school. And I could not make any friends. It was bullied, teased, spit on, tackled on, you name it, they did it to me. I just couldn't make any friends there. And while this is going on, I was raised Catholic, so my mom wanted me to go to the Catholic high school. So I had to take an assessment test to see where they were going to place me when I got to high school. Well, I must have bombed that test. Because when I met with the principal and my mom, The principal tells the both of us that she's going to put me at the lowest level possible because she doesn't expect much from me. I don't seem like I'm going to be college material. After one test, this principal says this to me. So now I think I'm stupid. I'm going back to a school that I'm going to be bullied and teased teased at in school. I'm crying myself to sleep most nights going, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why can't I just be like everybody else? And I don't know what came over me, jury, but... I just was sick and tired of feeling angry and sad all the time. I knew deep down those weren't my go-to emotions, but because of the environment I was in, those are the emotions that were coming up most of the time. But I thought, what if I can change that? What if I set a goal for myself and I can focus in on the goal and that will distract me from this outside noise? So I thought, well, what could my goal be? Well, at the time, I loved playing baseball. So I made a goal for myself to try to make my varsity baseball team in high school. So I started playing fall ball, winter ball, spring ball. And if I wasn't doing that, I was throwing a tennis ball against the wall. And while I'm going through this journey, coach comes up to me after practice one day and goes, man, Paul, you play a lot of baseball. Do you have any any goals with, with this? And at the time, I didn't want to tell him my goal was to make my varsity baseball team because I thought he would laugh at me. Somebody with cerebral palsy making a varsity baseball team, get out of here. It wasn't going to happen. So I just told him, no, I just enjoy playing baseball. I said, okay. He kept asking me that question. And finally, he caught me in a weak moment. And I blurred out that I want to make my varsity baseball team. I braced myself because I thought he was going to laugh at me. But he didn't laugh at me. He paused for a second. And he said, that's doable. I'm like, what? That's doable? I could make a team? He goes, that's 100% doable. But you have to have other people keep you accountable for your goal. I'm like, what do you mean by that? Other people keep me accountable for my goal? He says, after practice tomorrow, you're going to go in front of the team and tell that team, tell the team that you want to make the varsity baseball team. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I do not want to do that. These kids finally accepted me. If I tell them something like that, they're going to laugh at me. And the coach said, if you want to make this goal a reality, other people need to know about your goal because there's going to be times in your goal where you're not going to be feeling it and you're going to need your teammates to pick you up and push you forward. So reluctantly, I agreed. I said, okay, I will, I will go in front of the team. I did. And I was shaking. I told the team my goal. And they didn't laugh at me either. They started clapping for me. And I know this now, I didn't know this when I started it, but I started feeling better about myself. I started carrying myself with, with a little more confidence. So, my high school career was much different than my middle school career, all because of how I carried myself. And I was able to make my varsity baseball team as a junior and a senior. In my senior year, they poured the Gatorade on me, and I felt so alive. I felt so good about myself. I just, I just, I, I was on top of the world. Then I graduated high school. I start to think about what that principal said to me years earlier about not being college material. See, all through high school, I pretty much mailed it in because in the back of my head, I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm not college material, so why try hard? Just do enough to stay eligible to play baseball and move on with yourself. Don't waste any more time. But I thought to myself, if I can make this goal of having cerebral palsy and, and making a varsity baseball team a reality, Why can't I set another goal for myself to say that I am college material? So I enrolled into a junior college because that was the only place that would accept me at the time. I got myself a math tutor. I got myself an English tutor. I went to the math lab. I went to the English lab. I did everything necessary to increase my grade point average. And with my hard work, I took my barely a 2.0 all the way to 3.5, where I was able to transfer to a four-year university, graduate, and become college material. And I so wanted to come back to that principal and say, see, see, you were wrong. I was college material. But then I thought about it. I should thank her. Because all through high school or all through college, I had her thought in my head saying I wasn't college material. And my next thought was, I'll show you that I am. So I hit the books harder because of because of what she said to me. So i so forgiven her. I, I move on with myself, right? So now I'm 22, 23 years old. I have no life experience whatsoever. I have no idea what the heck I want to do with my life. And I have a family friend who was a CEO of a small bank. And he said, hey, we're hiring mortgage loan officers. Do you want to give it a try? I'm like, I got nothing going on. Yeah, let's give it a go. I was really excited because it was my first job where I really had to dress up to work. I mean, I I worked other places, but I never had like a a so-called adult job. So I was excited to start this, right? But when I got there... No one wanted to talk to me. I'm sitting alone at lunch. Everybody is just giving me the bare minimum. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Is this how it is in the workforce? I quickly realized what the issue was. Everybody knew that I knew the CEO of the company. So it wasn't because of my talents that I got the job. It was because of who I knew. So what they were going to do is they were going to chew me up and spit me out because I didn't belong there. But I was determined to prove them wrong. So I had a good attitude. I had a positive, a positive outlook, and I never complained about the workload. I just kept working, working, working. And I remember, I remember my first day of wanting to go out in the field and get loans for the first time. I had my rate sheets ready. This was before, right before the digital age really took off. So I had paper rate sheets. And I remember my uh, my, my my friend, my family friend, saying, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm ready to go. I got my rate sheets. I'm going to go out and sell." And he looks at me, he's like, No, 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 no. You are not ready yet. Let's get you some more training, and then we'll send you out in a little bit. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I got this. Let me go, let me go. And he's like, okay, go. And he was absolutely right. I needed way more training. These guys were abusing me left and right. I had no idea what I was saying. It, it was a rough go. But slowly but surely. I started to realize what value I could add to these clients, and slowly but surely I brought in loans, and more loans, and more loans. And two years later, I become a top producer at this bank. And people who didn't want to talk to me when I first got there now coming to me with questions. And I loved what I was doing. I, I thought I was going to do it for the rest of my life. I just, I, I loved going to work. I loved Mondays. I couldn't wait to come to work because I was driving around selling. It was just really, really fun. But then. 2008, 2009 hit in the economy, tanked it. And that whole bank went belly up. Then I had to get another job, and that went belly up. And that happened three or four times. And, And some of these companies I'm working for, they weren't that fun to work with. I was not living for Mondays anymore. I was dreading it. I was only living for Friday, Saturday, Sunday because I hated going to work. It was just brutal. And I was and I was stuck in this rut. I was really good at what I did, but I was kind of stuck in a rut. But I remember one of my last places I was at, they brought in this motivational speaker to to, to talk to us to kind of motivate the sales team. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't need this. I'm a top producer. I don't need somebody to t- motivate me. I can motivate myself. But it was mandatory, so I had to go. But somebody, something told me in the back of my head that I need to keep an open mind. So I came in with an open mind, and the guy blew me away. The guy was tremendous to the point where I had to go after and and tell him how great of a job he did. And he was very, very gracious. He allowed me to pick his brain a little bit. He said he started as a, as a life coach. I'm like, what the heck is a life coach? And he explained that to me, and I'm like, maybe that's what I want to do. Maybe that's what I want to do. Maybe I want to get into coaching. So on the off time of when I wasn't doing the mortgage stuff, I was getting my coaching certificate and I was telling people that's what I wanted to do. And people are humor me going, "Okay, whatever, life coach, go ahead and save the world, but get some loans in. So nobody was taking me seriously. And I got my my website up and the legal team that I was at at the time goes, what is this? I was completely transparent. I was telling them this is my full time job as a mortgage loan officer and I'm going to do a side gig coaching. And they're like, well, this could be a conflict of interest. We're going to get back to you. I'm like, that doesn't sound good. And they came back with this five-page report of what I couldn't, couldn't say. And I looked at this report. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to make any traction in the coaching world if I follow this to the T. So I knew I had to make some changes. So for a year, I didn't do any coaching. I just did mortgage stuff, and I just was paying down debts. I was doing everything necessary to take a leap of faith. And a year later, I just quit. And people are looking at me like I'm. Crazy! Like, what are you doing? Quitting? You're a mortgage loan officer. You're a great one. You just made President's Club. Why would you quit? And I'm like, I, I, I just got to give this a, a try. And they're like, Well, you're, you'll be back. This life coaching thing is pie in the sky nonsense. So I quit. And they're like, Well, you'll be back. And I thought they were going to be right because for the longest time, I wasn't getting any speaking gigs. I wasn't getting any coaching clients. It was bad. And I was like, why is this happening? Why is nobody trusting me? And I did some soul searching. I, and I came to the conclusion, how do I expect people to be vulnerable with me if I'm not vulnerable with them? See, the story I told you about having cerebral palsy, I wanted to bury that story. Because all through growing up, all I wanted to do was fit in. I didn't want to stand out. I just wanted to be like everybody else. So the thought of bringing that story up, I was nearing tears. But I thought, hey, that's the only way that I'm going to make this work is if I own my own story so they know where I'm coming from, why I want to be a coach. So I started telling the story on podcasts and other places, and it was shaky at first, real shaky. I start doing it over and over again, and I'll never forget my first client ever goes, Paul, I don't have cerebral palsy, but I have X, Y, and Z, and I'd be honored to hire you as a coach. And we've been building from there. I mean, sales clients, high school athletes college athletes, speaking gigs, and brings me uh, to, to present day talking to you with you, Juri.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing the story. Um, I just want to dive in a little bit more of the day that the doctor said to your mom that he would never walk. And a lot of my guests, had those kind of devastation of the doctor's power trip and privileges that they have almost like no emotion, I'm perfect, you're not, type of things. And I experienced that. I just want to echo it with your mom and you what it all, but in my book, I say it loud and clear. I had a thyroid disease and I had an operation. I remember the doctor was explaining not only about my procedures, but also he said that you're gonna have a scar on your neck and you're not gonna be maybe if the disease come back, have a cat, uh, have a kids and you never gonna get married. Nobody wants you. So it was like really devastating because I was like 19 it was very devastating and I don't know why it could be the hard data whatever so it just like I just sympathize with your mom and I get I can give so much kudos to your mom for not listening to the first opinion and then in the medical world I would always say that this second third fourth opinion that matters too because I had miscarriages too that um I didn't like the first doctor, I didn't like the second doctor, I didn't like the third doctor, you know what I mean? So it's not like that you have to listen. So I'm really grateful that your mom didn't listen to the first doctor and then just swallowed it and then say, yeah, my child would never walk or do any of the sports and he's going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. I'll take care of him. That's fine. That's because that's what the doctor said. So I'm really grateful
1: for your mom. Well, thank you for that. And I I didn't know that part of your story. So uh, kudos to you for never giving up on yourself. I think that's tremendous, especially at 19 years old when, you know, everybody at that age, you're pretty, uh, you know, you're not, you know, you're not sound as an adult yet. So if somebody told you that information, that would have been devastating, but you didn't give up on yourself. And I think that is awesome as well.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. And let's talk about trying to fit in and trying to disguise this um, diagnosis that you had to deal with. Um, I know, especially when you had to change your school and the middle school is awful. Like every country, like it's unfortunately bullying and harassment and teasing are universal language. It's not just America. I was bullied heavily in Japan. Uh, I started like maybe like 13 age of 13 while my dad was um, sexually physically abusing I was also getting bullied at school. So it's unfortunately universal. But why do you think you really survived like you know how, how do you remember any emotions that you were trying to fit in and you're getting teased like you know how did you feel devastation do you remember any of the sadness or anxiety of going to school?
1: Oh yeah. I, I, I remember like just dreading go, going to school. Um, I, I didn't want to go there, uh, cause I, I didn't have any friends. I was kind of a loner and, you know, that's kind of embarrassing when you're walking around the, 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 uh, the school grounds by yourself and, you, you see other kids snickering at you, and then when they when they did allow me to play, like they let me play football or what? I mean, they were tackling me hard on the cement. My head hit the ground. Um, it it was it was hard, and I and I came from uh, an old I, I I came from like an old school mentality where you didn't you didn't squeal, you didn't tattle on anybody. I kind of internalized it. I kept the pain inside, which. It was probably the wrong thing to do. I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell my grandma. I didn't tell anybody. I was going through this. I was just kind of going through it by myself. Um, so that that period of my life was extremely, extremely tough because uh, I really didn't, um, I really, really wasn't emotionally ready for it. I just remember what got me through it is. I just remember one one day. I had a, a particularly rough day with with bullies and, and everything like that. And I remember crying in my room, you know, for the hundred millionth time. I remember looking at myself in the mirror going, I don't want to cry anymore. I don't, I don't want to be angry anymore. I don't want to have these feelings anymore. And, and that's when I came up with the, the, the goal to, to try, try to make a baseball team, because if I could focus in on something, and, and, and narrowly focus in on that that will help me I thought would help me from ignoring that noise that I was feeling at, on my on the school grounds. but as a result of that, as a result of going after this goal, I started gaining friendships that I never would have had if I didn't do it. And uh, when I got to high school, um, I kind of knew a lot of baseball players because I've been playing with them for, for a long time. so I came into a situation in high school where um, I had friendships and people accept me for who I was because I, I was a very, very hard worker and, and a good teammate and, and a lot of the kids appreciated it. So when I got to high school, I kind of had friendships that kind of, uh, if anybody were bullying me, I had friends with that, that would back me up and, and that, that it changed my life.
0: So educate me on your condition that you were diagnosed with. Is it still affecting you as an adult or like is it completely gone? Like what's going on?
1: Um, Cerebral palsy is permanent. Um, so you have it the, your, your, the rest of your life. But um, I do, I, I work out five to uh, four to five times a, a week. I do physical therapy. Um, so, I try to limit it, limit, uh, limit my limitations as much as possible. I, I try never to allow my cerebral palsy to go after any type of goal that I want to go after. Matter of fact, after college, I actually ran a, a, a marathon because um, that was something else I wanted to do. So uh, I've never allowed it to define me as a, as a person, um, and I, I go after whatever I want to go after regardless of it. So, yeah, there is some limitations, but um, I, I work hard at it to limit that as much as possible so i kind of walk with a little bit of a limp and hold my right arm a little bit differently but other than that um I'm, I'm i'm full go
0: so is it like oxygen level in your brain that's limiting you
1: that's what affected it originally yes when at labor i wasn't getting enough oxygen to the brain and which affected that which triggered the cerebral palsy yeah
0: so, do you have like oxygen machine that you worked with, like, and how did you get it a little bit of more oxygen?
1: Uh, after I after after I was born, I was able to get enough oxygen, but the damage was already done. It would, it already affected the part of my brain, and that's what caused the cerebral palsy.
0: Okay, what is your current doctor telling you in terms of the, your limitation of physical activities and
1: See, I don't really see any doctors uh, about that anymore. I mean, most of my doctors are now internal for you know making sure my blood pressure is good, my heart, so all the normal stuff. So I'm not really. I mean, I have uh, personal train. I've 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 had personal trainers that 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 work with me on that, um, and they they basically just tell tell me which which I know as long as you continue to stay active, you'll be fine. But if you Decide that you don't want to be active anymore. Then that's when you're going to have problems. But that's going to be for most people anyway.
0: So when you were growing up in a school system, were you considered for IEP because of your condition?
1: No, no. I was always in the reg- I was always in regular regular school. Uh, like I said before, I wasn't the best of students, but I, I did enough uh, to be able to keep up uh, at the low, lower level. I never really thought of myself as not very smart until uh, I had to take that test and the, and the principal put it to my attention that I wasn't a very good test taker um, and kind of affected me in high school um, even more because I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to college. So, you know, we'll just do the bare minimum just to do enough to, to stay eligible at baseball. So uh, my academics weren't as exactly the, where they should have been. Um, and, um, you know, that's partly on me for, for believing in that principle. Um, but I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I don't know what the principal was thinking, but I, I don't, and I've never, I'm not, and i am never i am not i am not a principal. I'm not a teacher. I, I, I am a motivator though. And, uh, and I, and I do feel like one of the, the jobs of a teacher is it, it, or an administrator is a motivator. And when you say something like that, that's a demotivator and, uh, that you get less out of your Kids, when you say stuff like that, in my opinion.
0: Well, shame on that principal. And then, really, she should quit the job and she should be fired. Because, as far as I know, a lot of kids, especially, admire your principals. And the principal should be somebody who's being encouraging kids. And then, no matter what kind of challenges that they have, they should never judge kids, you know, college material. That's bullshit. And I feel horrible that she said uh, she or he said that to you and you know to be honest with you as a leader and journalist and educator myself it's just so hard it is so hard um, to hear that those kind of things that's not coming out of love and it's just like really hard and it, it definitely can affect people and America is a country where it's supposed to be a dream country. A lot of people like myself as an immigrant came to America to pursue our dreams. And in Japan, like say, for instance, we have this a lot of issues of gender inequality, where if you're women, uh, you're already disrespected and expected to be a wife, um, housewife, and then not a, as a podcast or a journalist or whatever. And, you know, those kind of mentality, like, you know, even like the, the father or the teachers will even tell you, like, you know, you are well, not college material, you should just not go to high school. My aunt never went to high school. And so it's almost like these decision makers and authority figures that already decide your potential. That's so wrong. I just want to let you know and then let audience no. i think that principal totally should be fired and re-evaluated if she still has the job i hope i hope not but these are the customers that she gets paid by and to be honest with you if you go to a restaurant and then if you have um customer service or if you go to a hotel or whatever and then the hotel manager comes and then you're now guest material like you're basically paying for their service you're technically not paying as a student, but the town is paying. So I just want to bring that out to you. That is, That is so wrong.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what she was thinking. But I, again, um, I can't control what she said to me, but I, I use it as motivation, thank goodness, uh, to catapult me. So I thank her in the end.
0: So let's talk about um, your work life and then how you had to kind of prove yourself and then maybe favoritism that played a role. Um, did you feel that like the childhood uh, bullying and then kind of trauma kicked in while that happened?
1: well, well uh, I, I'm sorry I I didn't understand the question when I when I got into the when I got into the work field Yeah oh, you know, oh okay. Yeah,
0: mentioned that because you knew the CEO, and then maybe it was a favoritism at the end. But when you didn't figure out, did you feel a little bit triggered, like you know, from your childhood memories and like bullying experiences?
1: Oh, absolutely. Not not so much the bullying, but I I, I, the loneliness definitely. Um, Because um, at that time, for a few months until you know I I proved myself, um, I was sitting alone at lunch. And that triggered uh, feelings of when I was in middle school where I was sitting alone at lunch. And um, at that time, I would, uh, would eat lunch in my car so nobody would see me that was alone. And um, when I was in middle school, I would uh, basically hide with my lunch and eat by myself um, so nobody would see me eating alone. So, yeah, there was some parallels there. Yeah, Absolutely
0: it is awful like I I got bullied over lunch and I still have trauma of going to cafeteria or whatever I just don't want anyone to come near me and it's it's weird because I was raised by um, grandma and then all this mom young moms like made this colorful um, bento which is like a lunch that you bring and then mine was like not as colorful as you know the young moms because the grandma was making and it was just so triggering and then people are teasing me kids are teasing teasing me and then like bullying me over it and then I was just so like I didn't even like know I until they mentioned it and then it was just so brutal and it triggers me still as as an adult like you know I'd rather like eat by myself somewhere than like you know being isolated or nobody would talk to me or make fun of my lunch, make fun of what I'm eating. It's just so crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, if I, if I, if I meet you in person, I'll definitely have lunch with you.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, you know, what? it's just such a universal thing about getting teased because of how you behave or how you. I don't understand, but like, you know, it's just, it feel awful. Um, than what you have to go through.
1: Yeah, it was. It was not. It was not an easy time in my life. That is for sure. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you, Paul, for sharing your adversity. So let's move on to your, our second question, which is the tools that you use to overcome those. You kind of mentioned a lot of things already, but I want you to think about things that worked really the best. And then this is one of my favorite part of the podcast because a lot of times people who never been through traumas and bullings and uh, challenges and adversities, they would just say, Oh, just forget, just forgive. But that's not how it works. And I've struggled almost like entire my life. I'm 46. Maybe I would say like three decades of my life was depression and then figuring out and then being so puzzled about this mental health issues and all that stuff. But then, you know, Doing this podcast, I've learned so much from my guests that what had worked the best. So, Paul, what would you say, probably the top three tools that you use to tackle these challenges and adversities?
1: Well, first off, I, I 100% agree with you. Um, I, you know, I, I, you know, you hear hear these so-called gurus that. That went through trauma, and now they're a superhuman and they never have any emotion ever again, and they don't get sad, they don't get depressed ever again. And I think that's nonsense. We are working progress until the day we die. We're never perfect. We're going to have ups and downs. That's just life. So to say that you you know you go through trauma and you get through the trauma and then and, you know, and you're fine, that's just ridiculous. So I echo your, your sentiments there that, that we constantly have to work on ourselves every single day. Mental health is huge and it's huge for people from, from birth all the way to death. We, that needs to be in the forefront of all cultures. So I, I agree with you on that wholeheartedly, but to, to get into the root of your question, um, I had a lot of good, um, training with my mom, Um, she, she's the type of person, um, where you come to her for a solution, right? You don't come to her, um, for, you know, for her to, you know, Oh, everything's going to be okay. Blah, blah, blah. She's in problem solving mode right away. Like, she's like, okay, you got a problem. Let's figure it out. Let's go. Let's figure it out. Um, and sometimes I would, you know, sometimes I would want that. And my mom would say, Hey, that's just not my personality. So, you know, if, if, if you feel that way you know, come to me when you're ready for problem solving and and we'll, we'll handle it together. And so, um, I, 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 I've taken to that where, you know, when, when you, we have a problem, um, I've always been in the, in the, um, ever since I was a little kid, I've always had the mindset. If there's a problem, there's always a solution to it. So, I think that gave me the tools. I think my mom gave me the tools when I was in middle school, even though I didn't tell her what was going on. um, She kind of gave me the tools to handle it because she always taught me that there's always a solution to the problem. And and my solution at that time was focus in on on a goal and set a goal and and focus in on it. And that will help you. Um, And then then I I got the other lesson from um, my coach. You know, you can't do it alone. You know, you might you might you, you might uh, you might think you can, but no, if you have something that you want to do that is great, you're going to need help from other human beings to get you there. And I learned that. So I learned how to say I learned uh, how to say uh, how to ask for help. And that really helped me in going forward. And then and then the, the, the last thing that really has helped me, especially in, 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 in coaching now um, is empathy. I think empathy is a huge thing. Um, I might not, uh, you know, with some of my clients, what they're going through. I might not have gone through exactly what they've gone through, but I definitely can have empathy from what they're going through, and I can show that to them because I think uh, most of all in coaching is that it's is is that that active listening that you actually care. Nobody. Nobody's going to hire you about what you know, what you, the, the, all that stuff. That's important. I, I I get you, but the most important thing is: does that person feel you care? And if they feel you care, then that second portion will come into play: is does does do I feel that the this person has the credentials to help me? But caring is number one. So so those those things are the things that that have helped me um, in all aspects of my life.
0: Well, thank you so much, Paul. It's so interesting that your coach said you have to tell your uh, friends at the baseball to be in the varsity team, and that you were afraid to tell that. And then it's such a interesting phenomena that um, I'm in an acting community. I'm in a musician community, where it can't be very competitive and then pulling their legs off and uh, just because you want to be in front of the camera than anyone else however it is to the point where when you go to a certain level that I found it is interesting that people are very supportive and that you build the community and then we are basically going after the same goals and then um, you know it's very interesting that when you are at certain level where you are struggling yourself and other people are too, that they are trying to manipulate you or steal, uh, like, you know, kind of um, steal the light from you and, like, m- pull the opportunity or tell somebody lies and stuff. But when you actually meet somebody who are so accomplished and then who had already gone through a lot of achievements that you know i found that those people to be so helpful encouraging and motivational and then um loving and kind and i don't know if you had experienced that but i'm very happy that your coach your teacher said to share your goals because sometimes people are embarrassed to share their goals
1: Yeah, I have a quote that I like to mention that what you mentioned about being competitive, especially in the acting field and the music field. I know it's a very competitive field, Um, but a rising tide rises all boats. And I firmly believe that if you do the work, if you put in the work and you practice, good things are going to happen regardless of what other people are doing. Don't worry about what other people are doing. You know, I always tell people, you know, when, when I, I talk with my clients, they say, well, Sally's doing this or Jimmy's doing that and I'm behind blah, 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 blah. You can't compare yourself to anybody else. You know why? Because you don't know where they you don't know where they started and you don't know where they're going to finish. So it's it's pointless to compare yourself to somebody else. Do what you can do the best you can be the best person you can be and everything will fall into place. I know that's hard, especially in the acting world, because everybody's fighting for one role, and 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 there's a lot going on there. But if you just tunnel vision and you do your job and you do it the best of your ability, and you go on audition after audition after audition, you're gonna you're gonna get work. You will. It's just the law of averages, and you'll just get better at it. The more auditions you do, the more 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 practice you do, the better you're gonna be, and. Uh, um, I forget the guy who um, he, he was the incredible Hulk forget his but, uh, forget his name, but he's a big time actor. And he he said that he went through uh, at least I want to say 50,000 auditions before he got his first role. So, you know what? How bad do you want it? Um, and if you want it bad enough, you'll you'll make it work and you don't have to put other people down to get to get where you need to be. Just be the best person you can be, and things will happen. I, I guarantee you, though, if you do help other people, you just the universe is going to help you too. So, you know, if, if you have an actor or somebody else, and you have some sort of technique that that, that they could use that would make them better, share it with them. It's not going to it's not going to make a difference in your your career at all. If anything, it's going to help you because that person will remember that. So, I think it's important that that we we help each other out regardless of it being competition. I get it, it's competition, and, and you gotta do the best you can, but you know, you also can help other people as well.
0: I, I can't even like explain how much I echo with you that, because I'm the type of person who try to help other people, and you have no idea how many acting gigs, how many job opportunities, not even just acting, But any type of job opportunities that I receive or gifts, like materials that I receive, like money, donations, like anything. Like, I don't understand, like, how generous people are. But then I have no desire to pull people down. I have no desire whatsoever because I work so hard to get to where I am. And I know my life was very tough. And I'm surprised that I'm still here. And it just knowing where you came from and how far you have accomplished yourself as well, that it's it can put you in perspective and then not be jealous and then not be like, why you know what I mean compared to us, like you said, like you know I'm not that level. And then I think people um, appreciate that because I really try to. Pave roads if there's no road.
1: Yeah, you, yeah, you, everybody can win. It, it, it doesn't have to always be winners or losers. I get it. In sports and other things, there is winners and losers, but in life, everybody can win.
0: And let's talk about empathy a little bit. So, my daughter is seven years old, and then she has this cute, cute, cute card love is empathy. Empathy is love. Can you elaborate a little bit of why empathy can overcome to o- help to overcome adversity? Why do you think empathy is important? Not as a life coach, but as a person, as a Paul, um that you went through the adversity. Why do you think empathy is important?
1: I think empathy is is huge, especially when I was in middle school, and it is it, it is it's huge now too, but. When I was in middle school with these bullies, you know, I don't know what their family life was like. Maybe their parents were bullying them, and they were taking it out on me, or, or you know, they were going through a mental battle that I didn't know about. And having, and that's what's helped me now, um, as forgiveness for them. I mean, it was a rough time in my life, you know, and they were really hard on me. But I think about that. I think about. You know what were they going through? I have empathy for them because I don't know what challenges they had where I wasn't there, you know, after school if if they they weren't having a good relationship with their parents or or their siblings were beating them up or 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 whatever. Um so I, I, that empathy has helped me grow to not harbor <clears throat> those those hard feelings. And and I and I do that today, especially in my, my work as a coach, um, you know, talking with especially the teenage kids, I, I really like working with the teenage athletes because I can, I, I, it takes me back to that time of how fragile I felt, you know, how emotionally unstable I was. and I, I put myself back in their shoes. So when they do share with me, it, it's in a, in a, in a uh, safe, non-judgment uh, arena where they can share, where they know that, that I'm not going to judge them, that they can share their true self. And I think that that helps them. Um, Because one of my goals, I mean, not every call can be this way, but one of my goals after the call, I want them to feel good about themselves. I want them to be like, okay, great. Let me get back into it. I feel good. I just talked to coach Paul and we have a good plan. Let's keep going. And, and empathy is the biggest ingredient uh, on that because I, I don't, Tell them, you know, I'll oh, suck it up. I don't. That that language doesn't, you know, doesn't go through me. I don't. I don't. I don't talk that way. Now, there's some times where you need, need to move forward. I, I I'm saying I'm not saying you don't need to move forward, but you can feel bad about things that are going through in your life at all at all times. I feel like bottling up your feelings is the worst thing you can do. I mean, if you feel sad. You should be able to express that. If you feel angry, you should be able to express that. But there will be a time in your journey where you're going to say, "I don't want to be angry anymore. I don't want to be sad anymore." And the easiest way to do that is through gratitude.
0: I love it, Paul. And especially, there's a gender inequality. Not, I'm talk, I'm not talking about girls not having as same opportunity as boys, but the boys are kind of expected to be tough. And not talk about these things and then just, you know, let it go and then laugh at it, whatever. But then the boys are also emotional and then they do have the same capability of being sensitive and, you know, depressed, anxious, and not being able to share because of the gender inequality. And I think we need to tackle those too. Uh,
1: absolutely. Um- one of the things, though, you, you, know, you hear a lot of people uh, bagging about you know, the newer generation of kids, X, Y, and Z. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. But one thing I, I want to uh, give them kudos for is you're, you're talking about the gender inequality and, and the role of a man where you, you can't show emotion. You've got to be stone-faced. You've got to be this or that. I'm noticing a change on that. I'm now I, I know we've still got a long way to go. But I'm noticing a change on that. I'm noticing that uh, that more and more um, kids, male males are showing a little bit more emotion um, than they would in in my in my in our I'm around your age. So around our generation where you didn't see that as much. So I I, I am seeing some changes on that front. Again, you're right. There's still a long way to go. But I am seeing promising. steps on that where males are going after mental health. And it's, it's not, it's not as uncommon for uh, uh, men to go seek therapy or go, go seek a coach um, more and more because it's becoming more of the norm. And I think that's a great thing.
0: Yeah, pandemic was as bad as it could be, but then the post pandemic, I think the mental health issues are forefront. And then I think we are shedding more lights to the mental health. So one thing is bringing emotional intelligence and then how even the school systems are recognizing it and hiring more specialists to tackle all those um, emotional um, intelligence eloquency and combating all these issues.
1: Yeah, I, I echo that. I, I think schools are doing a better job with that with the mental health. And again, there could be more, but, you know, it's a progress, you know, it's, it's progression and that's all we can ask for, you know, and, we can, and, and having podcasts like yours, putting this at the forefront will also help with that.
0: Thank you so much. So let's move on to the last question, which is a gift. So Paul, what would you say a gift that came from your university?
1: A gift that came from my adversity I would say um, grit grit has come in from my adversity all through my life all through my life as people have told me I can't do this I can't do that I can't do this every single time in my life I got so sick of it and I'm like, I'll show you you don't you don't you don't know my capabilities. I'm going to keep going forward. I don't care. I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to figure it out. And that's, that's, that's my mentality uh, as a coach, as a loan officer, as a student, as a baseball player. And as a kid um, is that grit that I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep moving forward. And if I didn't have that adversity, especially as a child, I don't know if I would have that 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 grit that I have today. So grit is definitely um, the number one quality that I think I, I received after that. Yeah.
0: So the word grit, can you explain a little bit more? Is it different than resilience? Uh,
1: yes. Yeah, so um, there's a book called Grit by Angela Duckworth, and it talks about. She, she did an experiment about cadets at uh, West Point on w- what cadets actually complete uh, the West Point training and it wasn't the most intelligent it wasn't the most physically gifted it was the group that could take the punishment and keep moving forward and she coined the, the phrase grit that that that, that special something inside of you that that allows you to keep moving forward when other people want to quit. You keep moving, moving the needle going forward and forward and forward. And it's more not so much about the result, it's about the progression. You know, keep moving forward. Keep being better than your than the self you were yesterday. Just keep moving forward. It's not about, you know, getting getting the accolade of being the greatest person in the world. No, it's not about that. It's just about being the best person you can be and pushing yourself on to uncomfortable limits and keep moving forward, growing.
0: Well, thank you so much for um, explaining, explanation, explaining about grit. Um, Yeah, I am just never heard of that word and then um in japanese konjo is the word that i can think of and i'm looking at it and then it's not that it's almost like um so it's g-r-i-t correct yeah Yeah, it's like a sand
1: is it right Mm -hmm. no um you got if if uh, shout out to if you ever read uh grit by angela duckworth she she'll spell it out better than i did it's a great book I've read it a few times. When I'm feeling down, that's the book I read.
0: Got it. So now I get it. How how quiche about it means like grind your teeth.
1: hmm Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. More like that. Yeah.
0: Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um it's interesting that your gift is grit mm-hmm. and um grinding, kind of like, you know, just keep it going even if it's tough.
1: Yeah. But that's that's how I was raised. That's how I I, I do it, and um, but I mean I do feel bad for myself from time to time, but I don't allow it to 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 to, to deter me from what I want to go after. I mean, yeah, bad days, a bad months, but but we all do, and uh, I I, I you we know, realize that I'm not alone. Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today, Paul.
1: Well, thank you so much. I had a fun talking with you.
0: Yes, absolutely. And thank you to our audience for tuning into A Gift from Adversity. We have more exciting guests coming to our show and I will see you next time.